Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, we're in our third week of Kings and Kingdoms, looking at some of the stories of the Kings and Kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And we started with King David and the scandal to really kind of end all scandals, his affair with Bathsheba. Now we learned how important it is for us to serve under God's leadership and also to be open to accountability from David's story so that we don't fall victim to a huge mess of our own making. In fact, the more you try to cover up your sin, the greater the mess you're going to make. And then we learned about the value of godly wisdom. David's grandson, Rehoboam, he has the distinction of being the one king who lost the kingdom. Right? So his foolish decision to listen to the poor advice of his friends led to a divided kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And then we jumped over to James, where we learned about six traits from James 3:17 through 18, which the wise possess. If you want to live with godly wisdom, those are the traits you want to cultivate. Now we're fast forwarding a little over 200 years from last week's events with Rehoboam. And I want to set this up for uh, just a minute. Israel's last king, Hosea, is in his third year of a 10-year reign that's going to end with the Assyrian uh, uh, victory over Israel. They're going to destroy the people of Israel to the north. The king we're looking at today, Hezekiah, he's reigning in Judah, and he's known as one of Judah's greatest kings. And if you read 2 Kings 18, you're going to learn that, man, he loved the Lord. He trusted God with all of his heart. He followed in the footsteps of David in the sense of being a man after God's own heart. That should really tell you something right there, right? Um, his father, Ahaz, oh, was a spiritual opposite. Idolatry flourished under Ahaz's reign, but when Hezekiah becomes king, he tears down the altars and the shrines to gods like Baal and Asherah. He even destroys the bronze snake that Moses had made because the people had begun to worship it. Now, by the way, and this is kind of an extra for you today, I think that shows that we have to be extremely careful that we don't worship the miracle instead of the miracle worker. Don't worship the things of God, you know, the miracles, the symbols, even what God did for you in the past. Like, you know, the those powerful, impactful moments that you might want to stay in and never kind of leave. Don't worship that, man. Instead, turn your worship to the Lord. Make Him the center. Now, if there's a fault with Hezekiah, it's that he liked to meddle in politics. You really need to you know, read some of Isaiah and, and definitely 2 Chronicles to get a full picture of Hezekiah's reign. But when you do, um, you can draw this conclusion. You know, he liked to meddle. In fact, the prophet Isaiah warns him to not interfere in the politics of the day. That's, that's a warning that Hezekiah ignores. Uh, he allies himself with Babylon. Um, he defeats the Philistines once and for all. We never hear from them again in the Old Testament. And, and then he, he chose to rebel against Assyria. Now, I, I said earlier that Assyria destroyed Israel. Judah hadn't been destroyed because they were a vassal state. They had to pay a certain amount 
out of yearly tribute to be left alone. Well, Hezekiah chose to stop all of that, which brought the greatest empire at the time to Jerusalem's front door. And the Assyrians, you know, they surround Jerusalem. They've conquered much of that kingdom already. And so little Judah is up against this insurmountable odds and it's pretty much over. But if your king Hezekiah, you know, the question is like, what do you do? Now, you could say, well, I would pray, of course. Like, that's the correct spiritual response. I get that. And maybe you've carved out time for prayer every day. Maybe you, you prayer and worship, all that's very familiar to you. And this kind of stuff isn't exactly the most exciting or intriguing topic to talk about. Because, you know, you, you already know how that kind of works. That, that's great if that's where you're at. But see, that's also where the problem starts. When we act as if we've got everything figured out, we're, we're in bad company here. See, you, you know to bring your request before God. You know that prayer has the potential to be so powerful entire mountains can move. I mean, Jesus said it, you believe it, it has to be true, doesn't it? You know a healthy prayer life is one of the marks of a growing Christian. You've got this prayer thing down. Except when you pray, you're not always sure your prayers are working, are you? Like, you're not sure if maybe God really hears, if it'll really change anything. I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? Like, how many times do you go to the Lord in prayer, and in the back of your mind, you begin to wonder about a few things? Like, maybe you feel your request is, is just too small. Maybe you feel like God has more important things to do. Worse, you might feel that what you're praying for is, is almost like a waste of time. And you would never admit that, I know. But some of you today, there's a part of you which really wonders if that isn't true. And I think as Christians, you know, we struggle with this last point the most. Like we pray for things like our nation to find its way back to God or for that job to open up so we can better our families or for the friends who once knew God and is now far off. But in the back of our minds, we have a lot of doubts. And maybe doubt has crept into our hearts more than we would be willing to admit. Prayers, especially ones which have been offered for long periods of time or, or seem to be just enormous by nature, uh, they, they, they carry our doubts with them. So we pray, you know, hey, God, bring Timmy back to your family. Like, get a hold of old Timmy here before it's just too late. And maybe you've prayed a prayer like that for 20, 25 years, and guess what? Timmy hadn't had an encounter with God yet. And it's not that we stop praying for old Timmy, because like we do, but, but we, we still say the right things, you know? It's just that now we pray for him out of, you know, habit and out of a real belief God's going to answer the prayer. And so after it's all, you know, it's 20-some-odd years, after all, like, if, if he was going to come to know God, wouldn't that have happened by now, you know? This is where I think Hezekiah finds himself. Like, yeah, he's a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he's done all the right things. He's said all the right things. Spiritually, he's in a great place. But he's not made the best decisions from a governing point of view, okay? He's kind of gotten himself and his kingdom in the situation that they're in right now, okay? Against the most powerful empire on the planet at that time in that part of the world. I'm sure Hezekiah had prayed many prayers before this day when the Assyrians showed up. He knew they were coming. He knew what they were going to do. I'm sure that he prayed plenty of prayers to the Lord and here they are, right? Like none of those prayers were answered. They're outside the gates. Worse, the Assyrians feel as if it was God who sent them anyway. I want you to listen to part of the message that they'll send to King Hezekiah. This is part of a much longer message they send to him. But 2 Kings 18.22, they say this, Perhaps you, this is Hezekiah, you'll say uh, that we're trusting in the Lord our God. 
But isn't the one who was isn't he the one who was assaulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? Now the Assyrians are talking about Hezekiah tearing down all the altars which served two purposes. The first was idolatry, but the second uh, and this is found throughout Judah's history in the Old Testament, was to worship God. Now, on its face, that sounds good. But God had said that worship and sacrifice had to be done in Jerusalem because at the time, only the priests could perform the sacrifices. Worship and sacrifice had to be done there. It couldn't be done other places. That's what the Assyrians are referencing to right here. They think that makes God angry, but, uh, you know, it didn't. In verse 25, we skip down there, they say this. What's more, do you think we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. Now, how's that for confidence? Like you're praying to God to deliver you for Hezekiah, right? To protect you, to show up in a big way. And your enemy taunts you and says, yeah, you know, God, God told us to come here and destroy you. Uh, you, you don't think that challenged the, you know, the people's faith, that it didn't challenge Hezekiah's faith? I mean, of course it did. James gives some important instructions, too, regarding prayer and faith. Listen to this from James chapter 1. But when you ask him, this is God, be sure that you really expect him to tell you, for, for a doubtful mind will be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And every decision you then make will be uncertain as you turn first this way and then that. If you don't ask with faith, look at that, don't expect the Lord to give you a solid answer. When you pray, pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. Doubt's natural. But, but feeding that doubt and giving in and surrendering to it, that will decimate your faith. Like, is he God or not? Did he part the seas or not? Did he raise the dead or not? Did he create the atoms and molecules that comprise matter or not? Well, if he is God, and if he is the creator, and if he is Lord, why are you praying with an attitude which reflects doubt in God's abilities? And pray with confidence that God can answer your prayer, that God does hear your prayers. Have confidence the Lord hears and will answer you because a prayer offered in doubt, which lacks faith, is a prayer that's going nowhere. And Hezekiah knew this. He, he had the confidence. In fact, when he gets this message from the Assyrians, he runs to the temple. He doesn't consult his generals or advisors first. He goes to the altar. And look at what happens here. 2 Kings 19. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you who are enthroned between a mighty cherubim, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sinasherab, that's the king. Sinasherab's words of defiance against the living God. It is true. Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They're not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, o Lord, our God, rescue us from his power, and then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, 
our God. And look what happens in verse 20. Remember, he prayed prayers before, I'm sure. But look at verse 20. This gets God's attention. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of Assyria. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you spread your heart out before the Lord like that? When did you last open up to him and just say, God, here's my struggles. Here's my anxieties and my fears. Lord, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't see a way out of this. But I'm handing you my doubts. I, I need healing for my little girl. I need healing for my spouse. I need healing in my life. And I just want you to know, God, I, I need you. When was the last time you were in the presence of God and you just poured everything out to him? We don't know what moved God to answer Hezekiah's prayer, but I, I think what it may have been was his willingness to run to God's presence. You know, when life is too big, when, when life is too hard, dude, run to Jesus, okay? Don't take it on yourself. Run to the Lord. Spread everything out before Him. Bring up, you know, everything it got to Him. Peter puts it like this, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Hezekiah did that. And at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. Hezekiah's prayer was full of confidence. He's very assertive that God will rescue Judah. And not because they're God's special people or whatever, but because God's name is on the line. The Assyrians think God won't protect Judah. Hezekiah knows they've issued a challenge to the Lord. He prays with complete confidence, but he also does something else that we should do with our prayers as well. When you pray, pray with humility. Pray with humility. He's a king. He doesn't bend the knee for anybody. But Hezekiah recognizes he can't rescue Israel. This is out of his hands. It's too much. He humbly approaches God. He spreads the message out before the Lord. When we come to the altar and, and we pray in a church setting, it's an act of humility. Like you're coming down in front of other people and no one knows what for, but that doesn't matter. It's an act of you saying, I need God in my life. Whether you stand, where you kneel, just being before the Lord and others is a show of humility. When you kneel at your seat, when you bow your head and pray in front of your kids at home, when you turn everything off in the car and you pray as you're driving, it's a show of humility. Each time you pray, you're surrendering yourself over to God. And so what does God do? Well, He does rescue Judah. He sends an angel that night to kill 185,000 Assyrians. Freaks everybody out. So much so they pack everything up and go home. And as for King Sennacherib, well, he's assassinated once he returns to Nineveh, which is the Assyrian capital. But God's not done with Hezekiah yet. Probably within the same year, Hezekiah comes down with a very severe illness. And it's so bad, he's told that death is knocking on his door. So the author of 2 Kings gives us the second prayer that Hezekiah offers. And, 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 and here's what the prayer looks like. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse number 2. When Hezekiah heard this, this being his impending death, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down and wept bitterly. That's it. Simple prayer, right? What happens? Well, God sends the prophet Isaiah back to Hezekiah with a message that his prayer has not only been heard, but God will add 15 more years to his life. 
The king of Babylon hears that Hezekiah was sick, he was near death, then he got better. So he sends him gifts. Remember, they're their allies, right? He sends him gifts. And at this point, you know, Hezekiah is pretty like, hey, this is great. I'm pretty smitten. Well, well come on, bring, bring him over. And he does something that's out of character. He doesn't pray to the Lord, which he typically would do before a major decision or any kind of concern. Um, which, by the way, I think we should always do that in our lives. What a great pattern to pray before God first. Instead, what he does is he takes the, the gifts and then he takes the envoys from Babylon and he takes them on a big grand tour. They see the palace, all the treasuries. They see everything Judah has. And while we're not told it was a prideful act, it's pretty clear if you read between the lines here, that Hezekiah is almost acting as if he and not God is responsible for the wealth and prestige that he has. He had a posture of humility near death. Now, with the second lease on life, he's walking in the full strides of pride a little bit here. So Isaiah comes back and he warns Hezekiah, the Babylonians will return and they will take everything they've seen. And that would start about a hundred years later with the first of three attacks and three deportations that would begin in 605 BC. Hezekiah's prayers saved the nation. They gave him added years to his life, but his pride actually helped to undo everything he worked hard to build. Now, these events following this second prayer should give us a little bit of a warning here today that when God answers your prayer, when He does bless you, when He opens doors you can't open on your own, beware the danger of pride. Don't fall into a trap thinking you open those doors yourself. Don't credit yourself for the blessings God gave you. Don't forget to thank the Lord for answering a prayer that was brought to Him with humility and faith. You keep pride in check by always giving God the credit and reflecting all praise that others may heap on you, man, deflect that back to God, okay? When you pray, pray with confidence and then pray with humility. Have faith and know it's all up to God and not you. Now, I want to wrap this up today by taking you to uh, one of the best passages on prayer in the Bible. It comes from James chapter 5. I want you to look at this, James 5, verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? Well, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? Well, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. I like that, right? Well, James continues here in verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now, if you're enduring hardships, man, if life is just kicking you in the teeth and, and you're just suffering, you know what you should do? James says, you should pray. If you feel with joy, man, praise God for it. If you're sick, have those whose faith is mature, those with wisdom, the elders, pray for you, and the Lord might heal you. Do you have sin in your life? Well, don't tell the whole world, but find somebody who's godly. That's what righteous refers to, being godly. Find someone you can open up to, whom you can confess your sin to, and that prayer offered by this godly person will have a profound impact on your life. I want you to notice something, too. 
And the importance of praying with others is highlighted in those last two examples that James lists. You can pray on your own, and, and obviously you should, but I don't think it's a mistake that James references prayers for healing and power in situations where others are joining you in prayer. This life we live for the Lord is one of individual choice and action for sure, but it's also one of community. You are meant to be together with other believers. Now at the end, he uses Elijah as an example for us. And we think of Elijah as, as one of, if not the greatest prophets in the Old Testament era. And James reminds us that, man, Elijah was just a man, a person like you and me. But Elijah prayed intensely with passion, with great faith, and the Lord honored his prayer. And it did not rain until he said it would. Hezekiah's prayers brought national deliverance and long life. Elijah's prayers shut the skies. What could your prayers do? What could happen if you spent time in God's presence? If you just spread everything out before the Lord and poured your heart out to Him? What could happen if you pray with full confidence and faith that God hears you and can answer your prayer? What could happen if you pray with humility, knowing the results are up to the Lord and not yourself? What if you prayed with passion and intensity like Elijah had? What if you prayed in your time of troubles or you sang in times of joy? What if you ask those who are spiritual elders to pray over your life? What could happen? How different could our lives be and our impact for God's kingdom be if we pray with confidence and humility? Prayer is not the last resort, man. It's the first option. It's not an action we undertake. It's an attitude and a posture in our hearts. What could God do in and through you? And I'm going to ask you this. What could God even do for you? If you prayed the way Hezekiah prayed, confidence and humility. Before I pray for you today, let me challenge you with this. When this teaching is done, turn off the radio. If you're listening to a podcast in your car, uh, turn off the, the web browser if you're watching online. Get alone or get with somebody who's with you maybe. And just pray. Just pray. Spend that time in God's presence. Like Hezekiah spread the letter out before the Lord. All his anxieties and fears were bare before God at that point. You spread your heart out before the Lord. Bear everything. God, here's everything that I've got. I'm going to spend some time in your presence. Pray with confidence that God can hear your prayer. He will hear your prayer. He can and will answer your prayer. But pray with humility knowing those results are not up to you. They're up to him. Father, I love you. I thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. I pray, Lord, for them, that, that Father, they would have hearts with a posture and attitude of prayer. Lord, I pray that, that when life gets tough, when troubles come their way, they would pray. Lord, when they have joyful moments and you open up doors that they couldn't open and you bless them, God, in ways that are unimaginable, may they praise you and pray. God, when their hearts are heavy, and they're burdened, and there's trouble and anxiety and fear, and they spread everything out before you as Hezekiah did, and pray. Lord, I pray in these moments where they're coming before you and laying everything open in your presence, may you fill their hearts with joy, with confidence, God, with peace, knowing you've got this, it's under control, you see the situation, you've got it all in your hands. God, if we have to pray for 20 years, may we not give up. May prayer not become something we do out of 
just a habit. May it be a powerful relationship that we begin with you. But we're conversing in prayer and strengthening our walk with you in the process. Lord, it may never be something we do just to do, to feel religious or spiritual. May we put our whole heart and soul into our prayers. God, I pray that confidence and humility that we will have in these prayers will lead to impactful results. James says they're wonderful results when we pray these prayers with you. Lord, I pray that our hearts uh, would be open to whatever your will might be, to whatever situation we're praying for. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your majesty. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.